Welcome back, Weekend Horror fans. This week, we're covering August 9th through August 15th. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Eugene. With me always tonight is Alex and JL. Hey, welcome back, Eugene. Welcome back, dude. Thank you so much. I missed <laughs> I missed you all so much. <laughs> John, uh, Johnny O, come for you. He, he, was, he was adequate. <laughs> oh damn! I I say that I say that because he's going. He listens to us regularly, so he's going to hear this. <laughs> no, we had a blast last week with Johnny. On. It was a, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, we'll definitely have to have him on again soon. Oh, absolutely! He's the he is our only special guest to actually cover uh, two shows. So it it was really really cool having him in, and he had a lot of fun. Um, Going back and actually watching the movies that we that we talked about, and he hadn't seen him in a while, so I think he digs that the most is get you know actually having a requirement to go and watch old movies. It's like the perfect excuse to go and watch shit you haven't seen forever. So he, he's always a blast to have on. I love what he and everybody else is doing over there on the plot hole. Um, him and Keith, um, it's always fun fun uh, to to see what kind of crazy shit they're going to come up with every Friday. And if you do want to hear more um, from Johnny O, definitely check them out at The Plot Hole every Friday at 8 p.m. at www.rockmetaltalk.com. And if you're actually listening to this over the YouTube, there is a link posted below. Boom. Now, we... Where has the fucking time gone? I swear to God... We je- and it's funny because people know I'm an atheist. Um, <laughs> I swear looking to God. Back, <laughs> I, looking back, I swear, we just started this thing. This thing, we, we kicked this thing off on a whim, just trying to put something together, you know, kind of be creative ourselves, to, to do something new that, you know, we, need, we all needed a creative outlet. We all needed something where we could create and put something together that people might enjoy. But at most... But, you know, the primary goal that we could be creating and enjoy something that we enjoy ourselves, something we would really love being a part of and enjoy doing. And hopefully that that would find an audience. And we just started this last September. We kicked this thing, this whole thing off, this we uh, this ride with Week in Horror. And we're closing in on our on our fucking season finale. Can you believe it? Year one, not even season, just an entire year. Entire year because yes, we do. We go we go long form here. Seasons are fucking years. <laughs> yeah. years. Fifty two episodes. Fuck this twenty two episode bullshit. We go fifty two, motherfucker. <laughs> Man, I can't believe it because it it seems like a couple of months ago you're just like, hey, I'm thinking about doing a horror podcast. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, sure, you know. Figured jump on, do a couple of episodes here and there, and just kind of see. <laughs> and then, like, we're almost hitting 52. Oh, it's wild. And I, I, I like how you how you, you were kind of going the direction, but you didn't say it. Because it was kind of like, yeah, we'll do a couple episodes, see how it goes. And, you know, we'll probably lose interest, and it won't do anything, and we'll go back to our lives. <laughs> it didn't. It really, really didn't. It This thing took on, a, okay, to kind of, a kind of retrospective. It kind of took on a life of its own. I had the idea, and I brought it to Eugene, and I brought it to Alex, and both of them were game. They're like, "Hell yeah, you know, Jared. You know, Jared's kind of a nice guy. We'll kind of indulge him for a little bit, and you know, we'll see where it goes." And like that, that was really really cool. I I built up enough cred to to convince people to help me, and 
I decided, you know, this we, you know, the, the, this is the format this we're gonna go. We're gonna play with this. And our first two episodes, which you will never hear, our dear listeners, <laughs> because they're they're terrible. We now we may do them eventually. We may bring them out um, in kind of like a you know look where we came from kind of thing. But uh, we we did not uh, have any. We had no clue what we were really doing. We had, you know, so we, we put the shit together, we're like, we think it's done like this. And things just were coming out whack. You no, know, you could, you, like, you know, levels were all over the place. And we, you know, the fact that we, you know, when we started, we could, we can't see each other. So I'm sitting here, you know, we're talking to my mic and Eugene's on his. And you know, we're spread out all over, the, all you know, across the state of Texas. And we're just kind of guessing. We're kind of gauging where we're at. And that took a lot of adaptation to just adapt to where our natural cues are. And eventually, you know, it kind of came together and we're like, okay, we kind of got something here. Then all of a sudden, you know, we're on Anchor and then we're on iHeartRadio and then we're, you know, we're tied in with other websites who are, who are promoting us. And then, you know, we're, we're engaged with the plot hole and the plot hole's helping us out. And all of a sudden we're on fucking YouTube and we're giving away shirts and we're giving away merch and we're, you know, we got merchandise and we have a website and it's just, it, it blows my mind how fast it happened. And how much of my life it has fucking absorbed. <laughs> because anyone who knows me knows I'm a hardcore World of Warcraft fan. I'm a big World of Warcraft fan. I have been playing World of Warcraft since launch in 2004. Fucking nerd. I'm a giant nerd. I'm a huge nerd. The, the people in the, in, the, in the YouTube community that I'm a part of, they know how big of a nerd I am. And I have, I shit you not, I haven't touched World of Warcraft since this ball got rolling. Damn. It's, it's like I still it's, have it's a, it's a very huge sacrifice. Yeah, that is. <laughs> yes, my my wife was blown away because she used to call Weekend Horror my mistress. Or sorry, she used to call World of Warcraft my mistress. And that she's like, "Oh, you're gonna go play with your mistress right now." I was like, "It's not my mistress; it's a fucking game." But <laughs> legitimately, I spent I spent a lot of time and a lot of money on World of Warcraft. I fucking love that game. I I I keep wanting to go back and see what's going on, but I have pressing issues with Weekend Horror. I've got responsibilities here. And it just it sh- it shocked me that I was able to just take we take we World of Warcraft and set it aside, and focus solely on this. And it has been so awesome. And it's been the listeners that have really made it for made it for me. They're the reasons that I'm kind of like you know what I don't need to, I don't need to play World of Warcraft right now. I don't need to go raid. I've got scheduling. I've got to get done. I've got special guests. I've got to uh, get on board. I've got Anchor. I've got Patreon. I've got everything. I've got I've got the YouTube channel. I've got you know promotion and marketing. And I've, I've got I've got to get it done. And it has been way more, and I can honestly say, intensely fulfilling. Well, yeah, because I mean, it becomes a purpose at that point, and it's something. And it's, in terms of building this, it's been, we've been building basically a brand that the podcast is our product, and we've been building that. And every time talking to a friend or something, it's just like, yeah, I checked out your last episode; it's really good. Like that's that's an awesome feeling to have and people interacting people are commenting and emailing us and posting comments on the youtube channel and we try to we we try to get to everybody's comment and just interact with them and it's just it's great do you guys remember the first time we stood outside the art or the art institute in dallas (laughs) that was when we were were going to that studio for the first time it was like Oh, this is like a thing. Like we're actually doing like a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's a curious one. So so Alex, you'd say that, that was the moment that it kind of solidified for you. Yeah, yeah, that was like okay, this is 
we're we're all in now. Like you know, this is something we're we're gonna do. We're gonna do this. It's there's no backing out. We're on the steps of the artist studio Dallas, waiting to go into a, a studio booth. It's like we're recording a fucking podcast. A year ago, like you said, JL, you kind of just approached you approached people and were like, "Hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing," and then I was like, "Well, that sounds like that sounds like fun." And then, you know, you stuck to it so hard and, you know, I th- we just hit it off so well the whole time. We just worked together. If something wasn't working, we weren't afraid to be like, hey, this isn't working. Let's try something else. And then, as you know, you, like you said, we started clicking into place and in, in spots. And now it's like we can come on here and script or not, we could sit and have a whole, in a whole episode and just play off of each other's, you know, vibes and stuff. So it's like it's something that's developed a lot and it's really cool and it's, it's an awesome thing to be a part of sweet and uh, eugene where do you think it wh- for what point did it kind of solidify for you where it was like holy shit we have a fucking show it was listening to it for the first time because we actually had a couple episodes posted and i i haven't i haven't listened to them i was just busy doing other stuff like okay they're out there that's cool it's getting great interaction and and one day i was like let me check out this episode. Actually, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, I was like, I was gonna be honest. I was like, let me. It's, it's been a couple episodes. I was like, really early, maybe episode four or five or something like that. And okay. I was like, let me listen to it. And I was like, I listened to. I think I listened to the entire episode, and I was just like, this is good. Like this is this is a, this is a podcast. Like this is good because the thing is, like I've had I've had other friends that have started podcasts about all various sorts of things, and I'll go, yeah, absolutely, and I like to gi- I like to give them a listen. I like to give I like to support my friends, and so oh yeah, definitely send me a link. They send me a link. I listen to it, and most of the podcasts are they're kind of okay. They're kind of like I was like ah uh, okay, that's kind of uh, all right, you know, good job. I'll support you. <laughs> and then, but I was like listening to ours. I was like, this is fun. It's engaging. This is like, we, we went there and we left and we had it play on the background while me and my girlfriend were sitting there like doing stuff. Oh, um, like packing or something. He listens, he listens to us. During <laughs> <laughs> well, we were doing stuff. Yeah. Well, we were doing stuff. <laughs> so we were fucking right. And like the sound, like the sound of my voice. <laughs> he was like, wow, I really like listening to oh, myself. Wait, he's talk. like, I, I could just see him. He's like, wait, wait, here's my intro. <laughs> She's like, why do you keep listening to yourself? Don't worry about it. <laughs> but yeah, that's and I you know the thing is is I still enjoy doing it. I I do Well that's good. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm I'm just saying, like I still I like I look forward to it. Yes, I I, I agree absolutely. Whole, uh, this is it's obviously it's become one of the highlights of my week. I love Coming in, you know, coming in here, my my office has become my studio, and I never in my life would have thought that that would have happened. That you know, I, I would actually get the opportunity to do this. Even do you know, doing voice work, you go into the studio, you go into like the studio at Funimation, you pop into the booth, you do the work for a little bit. He's like, okay, I do that, but it's not like I'm doing it full time. I don't have like these giant gigs that I'm you know doing things. I'm just I'm either laying down wallow or I'm laying down, you know, uh, ad lib, you know, just like boom or wild or wild recordings. But to actually have this and, you know, slowly but surely, my office has turned from kind of like the gaming kind of shrine that my desk was into, you know, Week in Horror. 
and it's all you know, just you know as you can see in my background you know when I'm on YouTube um, it's just all the horror stuff that I have behind me and it's slowly but surely growing um, I can tell you the moment it solidified for me was I kind of procrastinated one month and I was really really close to when the daily splatter had to get done and I was like holy fuck I've totally put it off and this has to be done like tomorrow. Like I've got to get them scheduled. I have to, and I handled the week. And uh, as everyone knows, I handled the daily splatter. You know, in the last week of the month, I start putting the daily. I put all the photos together. I do all the writing. I write out all of the the social media posts, and then I schedule everything for the entire month uh, ahead of time, so I don't have to worry about it. Because you know, at first I was doing it kind of like piecemeal, but now I schedule everything in advance, and I realize that I had one month. I had. I think this was like. January. No, it might have been December. But it was around it was in winter. And I realized I'd procrastinated and I hadn't done anything. I had nothing set up for the Daily Splatter like, you know, almost like less than 48 hours before they were supposed to go be you know, going live for the next one. And I was sitting there on my computer, I was like, fuck it. I jumped on this thing, I started crunching it, and I look at the time, and I have to be at work in like four hours. <laughs> and I was like, fuck it, and I finished the Daily Splatter. The whole fucking thing. Crushed it out. It took me like another two. I got like two hours sleep, got up, and then I went to work. And I was fine. And I was happy because I had got, got it done. It was, it was that moment when I knew when the responsibilities kicked in. And I realized that the responsibilities kicked in. And I gladly jumped on it and got it done. And realized very quickly, I cannot procrastinate on this shit. I've got to, I've got to stick to my schedule. <laughs> And now I schedule everything hardcore. I've got, I've got things scheduled two months in advance, and now I'm just gonna. Like, that, that was when it solidified for me that we have a fucking show. It's like, and it's just you know, it's been a joyride ever since. Yeah, because because that, that, that's a huge thing when we're talking about people who are starting up with podcasts, or you want to start up a YouTube channel, or working on a film of your own project. When it's just your own thing. And there's actually not really a consequence for missing a deadline. Like there's when you're doing your own thing, no one's going to yell at you or anything like that. It's not like a job. But when you you suck it up and you sit there and you still do it anyway and you feel that responsibility, and you knock it out and you stick to your deadline, you stick to your words, you stick to all that other kind of stuff. That's when it's important. Yeah. And you have to any kind of venture that our listeners want to go through, whatever kind of artistic project that you want to do or you want to start or even just business wise, whatever, that is important. Always, always stick to that and you will you will get where you want to go. Definitely. Definitely. I did not think for a second that we'd get to this point. And, we, you know, and, you know, it, it seems like n- nostalgia is kind of the, even though we, we've been around a little less than a year, but I feel very nostalgic going back, you know, our very first episodes, the lengths that we have come from those, from those very first attempts, from those test episodes we did to the very <laughs> first two episodes, episodes that we didn't air. <laughs> yes. The, the shit that we did not air. Um, and I feel kind of nostalgic looking back because we've come so far and we've, you know, our presence has increased so much. And, you know, we, we still have, you know, light years to go. Fortunately, the, you know, the film community just continues generating product. And we have so much, so many movies we can talk about. Not to mention we're going to get, a, you know, coming up in season two, we're going to get a little bit heavier into talking about some TV series. I know we have an episode coming up in season two where we're going to talk about nothing but American Horror Story. Because um, we're going to, we're coming up on the anniversary of 
of when it first aired, when the very first season of Murder House aired. So we're going to talk about that. We'll probably t- talk about Tales from the Dark Side, um, stuff like that. You know, we, we're getting heavier into it, and we've got shit tons of movies that we have yet to talk about. Plenty of you know time to fill. It's going to be a fucking blast. And season fin- uh, season finale. One thing I want to say: uh, the season finale of Weekend Horror is going to be September twenty third. We're going to be live streaming that on our channel, uh, live stream via YouTube. We're going to have trivia. We're going to have giveaways. We're going to have uh, hopefully see special guests, huh? So popcorn and corn dogs. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a major (laughs) event. Um, We have got the prizes. I think that I've picked out are going to be I think are going to be awesome. We've got prizes from Displate. We've got prizes from uh, Funko Pop. We've got. some really cool custom stuff, which I think is gonna be is gonna be really really neat. And I I was thinking about you know like telling people what it is uh, tonight, but I think I'll wait. I'm gonna hold off. But I'm gonna say that yeah we've got stuff from from Displate and Funko Pop, uh, just really really cool stuff that we're gonna give away as part of these because we're gonna I will, I will say this we're gonna be talking about Seven, uh, Shaun of the Dead, um, Carnival of Souls, and The Void. The Void. Which are four seriously fucking awesome. That's a solid lineup right there. Yes. (laughs) I'm excited about it. I really, really am. I think it's going to be a great night. We're going to have a lot of people checking in. We're going to do trivia for those four films. So if you've heard these four, if you've seen these four films, uh, brush up on them. If you haven't seen them in a minute, but brush up on these. The trivia questions are going to be tough, but the the winners of the trivia are going to get these awesome fucking prizes. So it's going to be really, really cool. I cannot wait to unveil them. There's, I think people are going to flip. Um, yeah, not only brush up on cool. the actual movie knowledge, but like the background knowledge as well. Yeah, as much as you can, because the, the uh, I, w- I want to have tough trivia questions. It's not just going to be like, what was the name of the actor who played the captain? In the, if, if it's Arlie Ermey. Uh, what, Bill. What the fuck are you doing? Bill, mm-hmm. not yeah, the I'm, science guy. <laughs> 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 so it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Um, we got some really, really cool stuff coming up. So, but uh, speaking of nostalgia, <laughs> you know, this kind of the, the like I said before, it's kind of the theme of this episode, isn't it, Alex? It kind of is. I think uh, I think you should probably get us started off though, JL, with uh, a classic. This is definitely something everybody's heard of. Yes, this is okay. This is absolutely wild. So, came out last year. August 9th, 2019. We had scary stories to tell in the dark. So, uh, it's th- this movie caught my attention the minute I heard it announced. And I know a lot of horror fans out there, it caught their attention as well. Because we all grew up with the scary stories to tell in the dark books. Yep. Uh-huh. Volume 1, 2, and 3. Oh my god. Scary but, uh, stories, those books more might, scary but, stories, and scary stories 3. Mm-hmm. Yes. Those, those books... Alvin Schwartz was probably a defining characteristic of my childhood, which is probably why I'm doing this today. But the film came out, and I was blown away. It was directed by Andre Overdahl. Produ- I'm going to give this special note because this is important. Produced by Guillermo del Toro, with a screenplay by Dan and Kevin Hagman, based on a story, or basically adapted from the story by Guillermo del Toro, Patrick Melton, and Marcus Dunstan. Is who actually wrote the, the the story for this based on based on Alvin Schwartz's books. That is some serious fucking pedigree. Del Toro himself, <laughs> plus the guys who were behind um, uh, installments of Saw and the creators of the Collector, 
were behind this. Of course, based on Scary Stories Tell in the Dark by Alvin Schwartz, starring Zoe Coletti, Michael Garza, Gabriel Rush, Austin Zajur, Natalie Ganshorn, Austin Abrams, Dean Norris, I love Dean Norris, uh, Gil Bellows, and Lorraine Toussaint. Um, this movie, I think it was the nostalgia in me. Because going back and seeing the, these live-action versions of the stories that I grew up with, of like the pale woman God, and the scarecrow. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I'm sitting here watching this, and I'm like, and I remember reading the books. I know you guys read the books as well. We all came up with this. Mm-hmm. And what got me was, I, I, given the artwork, I never thought in the back of my mind that Scary Stories Tell in the Dark was really meant for kids. Because there was some scary fucking shit in those books. Uh, like the spider in the face kind of thing. Um, and I don't know. I did. That's always been a big question. Is this a, what, this movie, not, not just the books, but the movie as well. What Do you think this is for kids? And see, that's that's kind of like a, a kind of a gray area because we grew up reading these books. And these are some of the books that solidified our love for horror. I mean, putting this putting this together, and so watching the movie, this is this is what I thought when I was watching the movie. I thought I can understand how some people would be like, "Oh, I don't know, this is for kids," but it is something I would have watched as a kid because yeah, it has deaths in it, but it's not overly gory. It doesn't have any like super graphic violence or nudity or anything like that. But it just has the basic elements of what we like in horror. It has this, some some suspense. It has some scary monsters in it. A little some supernatural elements to it. Um, I mean, definitely. Um, oh, I can't I can't remember the creature at the end where he breaks down. Oh, with that the, with that yeah, the dude whose head is all yeah yeah. He came in through the chimney. Yeah, yeah, he came in through the chimney and he like put his body together. That. Was scary now, let alone being scary. I was scared shitless as a kid. Like that would scare the fuck out of me watching yeah, that. I think I, I think seeing that, given given that you know the shit that I watched was like you know because I watched like Aliens and you know weirds like that. I think, but I think it was it was quiet horror that really got me as a child. So I think the Pale Woman would have oh, really oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> dude reading the story and then seeing that come to life was like i'm gonna go puke because i'm so fucking scared mm-hmm. it that would how was that i mean it brought back memories it really did that's uh, you get into you get into all of these you get into every single one of these like when they first the uh the woman i, I can't remember the name of the story but the toe the toe ghost Woman oh lady. yes! Oh like, yeah! I think that was the first story in the first book, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong, but like immediately when it, like because I hadn't read the book since we were kids, and you know I used to have a uh, the first time I ever okay here. Let me ask you guys this: What was the first story that you ever read out of those three books? Because I definitely didn't read the first the f- I think it was from the first book, but it was not the first story. <laughs> Oh, let's see. I think when I actually picked up the books, I think I picked up volume two first. Uh, I think y'all got, we're, talk, we're talking about going way, way back here. I um, remember the cover on the one that I was, it was the one with like the the skeleton, the bony face, and that, you know, it had like a red nose. And, and we, it oh, had the pipe, and then, like, the yeah. Pipe, and, like, the yeah. 
I just I remember that being on the floor of a tent when I first read the book. Yeah. Yeah. I've- oh man, I because you right. I remember that. Like his face is kind of turned to the side and everything. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Yeah, you know what? Um, I just I had to take a look at it. Um, it was. It, no, I'm sorry. It was the very first book is the one that I picked. It is the one that I picked up. I did. I did read the very first one. Um, because it was the Hearst song. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> that that stuck with me, and that that was in the that was in the very uh, that was one of like I think the twenty there was like twenty nine yeah there was like twenty nine stories in the first book, and the Hearst song was one of them, and that because it was musical. That always stuck with me. That kind of you know, into that rhythm. <laughs> That's like what you know. So that one stuck with me. And then it had stuff in there like the man who lived in Leeds and um, old woman all skin and bone and cold as clay. And Alvin Schwartz's stories were amazingly uh, both emotive and um, arresting, especially the artwork. The artwork just was stunningly terrifying. So creepy. Um, I don't know. It, it definitely affected me. And then seeing some of these things come to life, like you said, like the like the toe ghost or the pale woman. The pale the pale woman still gives me still gives me shivers. Yo, and there's nothing that... inherently violent about that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is like it has the elements of horror without going over because there's nothing like inappropriate or something like that that you couldn't show to kids. There's nothing like that, but. It still has some of the great classic horror elements when he's in the ho- when he's in the so hospital scary. and he's in the hospital and the woman kept appearing like he kept turning the run yes. and she just no matter what what direction he went to she was getting closer and closer and closer like it's that's so scary <sighs> that's I think that's why they you know it, there, this is a, a tough question because like you said there's not like it's not it's not an adult film it's not you know they're not adult stories. But they're so freaking scary that, like, I guess it doesn't even matter if you'd be a kid or an adult. Like, that, I, the movie, I 2019, you know, I'm 29 years old and I watch it and I think back to the stories and I'm just as scared now as I was then of some of those those stories. I was, exactly. And I, I was, because uh, I just turned 40 this year. I was 39 when I watched this. 39 years old. Sitting there with my wife in the dark watching, watching this film. And it was shocking how quickly those memories came back. Yeah. And like the whole I thing too, you can imagine feeling. the whole story within a matter of like the first five seconds. Yep. Of yes. What was going on. Yes. God, I and remember it, it brings back it brings those images of, of, uh, Gamble's, um, the, the artist who did them was Stephen Gamble yeah. and his, uh, ink and charcoal drawings. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh like yes. The, <laughs> yeah. the, 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 both, both, incredibly evocative and very minimalist yeah um in his use of light and shading in those just to create this image that and we all and anyone out there listening can can look back at the book can think of the books and can think of one image of gamels <clears throat> that still sits with you today the one that still get there's actually two that still get me the 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 the, the pale woman and the the image of the girl with the with the spiders coming out of her face. Oh my god! Oh yeah! <laughs> I still remember that vividly from the first time I saw that. And I was thinking so, of uh, Sam's pet. I think it's Sam's pet. It was the little hamster? It was like a hamster mole rat hybrid thing. It was all fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's pet something. I can't remember. I don't know. I remember the first story though that'll always stick with oh, me. Oh, so, yeah, Sam's new pet was in the third one. Yeah, that's right. Sam's new pet. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. That one always stuck with me. But the story that always stuck with me was, uh, uh, I stood on the grave or I stood on her grave. The girl who stood on a grave where she like got dared to go stick a knife into the grave or whatever and stuck the knife through her dress and got stuck and, you know, had a panic attack. I think that one sticks with me real hard because it was like, it was the most, when I was a kid, when I was reading it, that's the one that made me feel like the most, you know, I come to realize later that I just have an anxiety disorder and that's why that one fucked me up so bad when I was a kid. But you know, it stuck with me. I think that one was in the Facebook. Yeah, Yeah, they do. So wild. And there was so much controversy uh, when these came out because I think a, a num- a, like numbers of parents of parent organizations decried these books as being totally inappropriate for children and tried to get them banned uh, or try to get, you know, get them shut down. And then all of a sudden the film comes up and all these memories come back and it just it, it takes you on a ride. And, the, and I'll give it the, the narrative that Del Toro and Melton and Dunstan came up with is actually quite good and it plays. And it was it while the medium was different, and instead of you know the book transporting you to these things and you and you conjuring these images yourself, they're there full full bore in front of you on the screen, and it was still affecting in a slightly different way. But I think the attachment to the books may have worked that way. Anybody who has not read the books or didn't grow up with them may not have the same visceral reaction as to to watching this film as we might as we may have. But given the popularity of the movie and how well the movie did. I'm thinking that pretty much anybody who saw this read the books first. Yeah, and the thing is, is it's a good movie in and of itself. I mean, it's something that, obviously, if you read the books, you're going to enjoy it, and you're going to catch little nuances like, oh, I remember that, I remember this. But the movie itself, it's it's a type of movie, like, if I had a kid, I wouldn't show it to, let's say, a two-year-old or something like that, but if I had, oh, maybe... 10, 12, 13 year old or something like that that was interested or interested in horror think about it that is something like I would absolutely show them absolutely just when they start you know they get to the point where they start you know questioning the world or you know being inquisitive about you know death and stuff like that <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> what is death let me show you something <laughs> I get some stories to tell you but de- definitely just wild wild shit um fucking loved it um there's a question for the audience. We've talked a lot about we talked a lot about the books and we talked about the film. Um, film was pretty straightforward. They 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 grabbed several instances, uh, several stories within the books, and then we wove them together into a coherent to a coherent narrative, which was really good. All tied together by this by this book of stories of scary stories. Really really cool concept. I like the way that they did it. They made it easily accessible. Um, but here's a question for anybody who's seen it. I'm very curious. How faithful do you guys think they were to the books? Was the movie faithful to the books? Um, did you have that same kind of reaction watching the movie as it took you back to would do you know uh, being that the movie was faithful to them? Or do you think the movie really didn't strike the same chords? That it really wasn't all that faithful. That, you know, given the book to movie translation, it can be very very difficult uh, to try and make that work. So, what do you guys think? Faithful to the books or not so much? Let us know in the comments or at weekendhorror at gmail.com. So we've got a really cool one up, and one of uh, one of my kind of like you know personal faves. Um, definitely my top ten. Eugene, what do we have? So this is a nice little like uh, kind of an underground film. Um, 
It came out August 10th, 2001, and it is Session 9. And it was directed by Brad Anderson, and it stars David Caruso, Peter Mullen, and Stefan Gievdon. And also, I'm hoping, I'm hoping on that one. I always find, I always find the best names. (laughs) And then uh, Josh Lucas. Oh, that one was rough. Oh yeah, I know that one. (laughs) All I have to do is make it a Josh Lucas. (laughs) That was it. Josh Lucas. Josh Lucas. (laughs) <laughs> and it's and it's basically it's about you have a group of people who are asbestos removal they specialize in asbestos removal and they go and they stumble across this uh insane asylum while they're working and as they're working things start getting out of hand but also at the same time we start learning stuff about the past that happened in this insane asylum <laughs> <laughs> that sounds complicated. <laughs> <laughs> it has it has kind of a dual narrative. It, it's kind of, I would say probably more than dual if you really dive into the whole thing. But uh yes, there's many that's okay, so like you're talking about it, you start learning stuff about the past and like it in these these sessions that um I forget his name in the movie now already. These sessions that he's listening to, and uh, you know, you start getting into the multiple personality aspect of everything, and then you pull in like this dual narrative, like you said, where you've got like multiple storylines going on at the same time that end up kind of coming all around at the end. And then you get the big, you know, the big tie together at the end and stuff. That was pretty cool. I will give the film that. I, I found the whole thing kind of, it was kind of predictable to me i guess i kind of saw everything that was going on as it was going on but at the same time it was really cool to kind of take hey we're going to be talking about you know this person with multiple different personalities you know mental illness and stuff and then you pick it apart into these different you know you have to take these different paths with these different storylines and then you know you kind of tie it up it was pretty cool that was a very cool way to do uh like a lower budget film like this I did find that to be kind of fun. I think that was probably the best part of the movie to me, though. It's great that you actually mentioned the budget because we see more films of like this level today. The fact that it's just easier to make with just the technology advancements and everything like that. But this is when I was watching it, it made me start to think of a lot of films, like just a lot of buddies that I have that are filmmakers and on that level, except with a film that came out 19 years ago. This was, back in 2001, low-budget feature films were hard to make. They are very, very hard to make. And the fact that they were able to put it together and especially get the, the type of quality they got out of it is a good job. Hey, they did what they could. And, like, you know, budget-wise, I think... I think it was like 1.5 million on this one, uh, you know. But you've got some bigger names in this, and I, I expected uh, David to throw his sunglasses on like in CSI, and like every scene, <laughs> especially because he did the thing where he kneels down on one knee when he's like checking the ceiling tile that fell on the ground. I just expected him to like look up and throw the sunglasses on and be like, three weeks." <laughs> you gotta have it. 
ah, as he puts the sunglasses on. <laughs> I loved it. I loved the, the despite the fact, because I, you know, I, I saw this movie before I ever saw Caruso in um, CSI Miami. And I think it was CSI Miami. Is that where he was at? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Before that, he was on NYPD Blue. Yes. And I, I so I didn't have that same effect of, of you know wanting him to put on the sunglasses and hearing the Who every fucking time. But I I I appreciated the energy that he brought to it. It was nice seeing a familiar face. Um, but I I dug how each one of the members of the cast helped contribute. A little bit to the uneasiness because there was obvious uh, the you know, the way session nine was written. I, de- I took away a sense of uneasiness to each one of the characters because not they're not well balanced, which is really intriguing. Is that you didn't have guys who naturally played off one another. You had one guy who 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 kind of felt he was naturally the leader, and you had one guy who you know, everyone brought their own to the table, but there was already discord amongst them. So basically a bunch of guys who were forced to work together who were kind of like, yeah, whatever. And I think thought that added to the creeping madness of the film itself because we already have the you – know, the, we can see the fractures between the, the, between the guys. And then you add in things like the subliminal effects that they had in the film, that they utilized in the film – and it gets really, really intense. And I love that the combination of both the technical aspect and the acting really brought this together for me. And I think it was um, Eugene. They used, for subliminally, they used animal sounds. And I think, what the hell was it? There was something so wild that they did. Uh, yes, animal and mechanical noises. That they subliminally, that they incorporated subliminally into the sound design. Which helped to really, I think... Which is why I think this is a very effective movie, and because it really helps to sell the environment that the guys are working in, and the natural kind of unsteadiness that that goes on. And using effects like that is is pretty well is pretty well done in in uh, the history of Hollywood. I mean, The Exorcist did it, and other films have done it as well to great effect. Yeah, absolutely. Because they become sounds. It's weird because it's easy for the brain to kind of drown out animal sounds but your brain still recognizes the fact that they're still there and the way they're able to use it and the way they're able to kind of get you off balance and a lot of creepiness in films and a lot of suspense is actually done more on the audio sense than the actual visual sense because you can take a scary take a scary movie or scary scene and then mute it and watch it and it just kind of loses something. You we have the girl going through the dark hallway with the flashlight, mute it, and it's just kind of like a eh. But then, yeah. But and this is you know taking talking about the power of sound. Then you can do this. Then you can listen to it, and then you close your eyes, and it's still scary. So you're talking. Absolutely. So you're talking about the power of audio. So they're talking about the power of like the, the audio part of it. So that's something that's very, very important. Sound design is super important for horror films and with composers and stuff like that, the way they're able to do it. Because like with the Chernobyl uh, soundtrack, they use nothing but mechanical sounds. There was actually not a single real instrument and the entire uh, score for that. And that I love the score for Chernobyl. Uh, Extremely well done. So that's a huge part of creating a creepy vibe for a movie. That's like, I, I I was trying to think of what they call it. It's like the saw thing 
They use that saw with a, a, a violin bow. Oh, yes, yes. Um, and very similar to, uh, oh, what was it? Te- the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. Yeah, there, there's like a specific, I can't remember, there's like a name to the technique or what they call the instrument or whatever. But that's what comes to mind when you talk about like the mechanical stuff. And like you can throw that in pretty much anywhere and then, you know, you know that that's like a sound for your like nerves to pop off to. Like, oh, no, something's going to happen. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, they use they use they. That makes sense that you're saying that now. I'm thinking back to the movie, and that has a, a lot to do with it. For sure, I love. I really, really love that the film. The given given the kind of unreliable. It's, it's almost an unreliable narration to the film, and given that, um, you 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 can really interpret the film in a in a, in a variety of ways, and I thought that um, the concepts of you know whether it was madness. Or whether there was an evil spirit or something, you know, possessing people, I thought was was kind of ambiguous, and I really really enjoyed that. Um, I don't know where I I, I I cited on the evil possession, but I know some other people cited with it, that it was madness. That that uh, what was the the his character's name? That he actually went crazy. Uh, Gordon. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. That he actually lost his mind and w- and was slowly unraveling through the film. Yeah, I mean that so, makes total sense because you know yeah. his wife and yeah, yeah. Cause you, you follow it all the way to the end, and I guess at the very end, even you could look at it and be like, okay, this is what happened. And that's the thing is by having by starting them off as this already kind of discontent among the characters, you already have somebody who is off balance. Because if you had the crew and they're walking in and they're all happy, then oh, it's easy just possession. It's just it's just an easy call. Oh, possession. There's yeah. no way they're good friends. There's no way they can turn in a short <laughs> period of time. No, but having them, they're already off balance. They don't want to work together, and we don't know starting off to what extent of this discontent. So they're already off. They're already off balance mentally. So it could be madness. I mean, because like it yeah. comes down to like what are two things that can creep in if you're in a weak state of mind? You know, madness or. You know, if you're looking at the supernatural side, possession, it needs a weak mind. And you've got this this person who's like, come on, like, I, I know we said this job would take three weeks and then two weeks. But then, like, hey, I've got four really good guys. We can do it in one week. This guy's obviously hurting in a place of desperation. So it could go either way. It could either be madness slips in due to the stress and uh, the burden of the job that he's taken on. Or, you know, his mind could have been so weak something could have slipped in. Yeah, absolutely. So this is actually something that I want to ask the audience. What do you think? Do you think it is madness? Did Gordon just simply go mad? Or was he possessed? Let us know. Email us at weekendhorror at gmail.com. Let us know. Chat with us. All right, Alex, what do we have next? All right. Coming up on one of my favorite movies, I think, of the last probably four or five years. Uh, summer of 84 came out August 10th, 2018. Uh, this movie was written by Matt Leslie and Stephen Smith, directed by Francois Simard and <laughs> this is Anouk Wissel, I believe. Probably close. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> I think you got it. I think yeah, it was sure close. you got it. That was a weird one. Uh, <laughs> t- starring uh, Graham, see, Graham Ver- Ver- Vercher. I don't know if it's French or Graham V, Judah Lewis, Caleb Emery, Corey Gruder, Andrew, Tara Scovby. 
this just Canadian? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not uh, Rich sure. Sommer, Jason Gray Stanford, Shauna Johannesson, um, and William McDonald. I, it was this. This one was cool because the whole cast played a huge role in the movie. Um, this movie was about a teenager who convinced his group of friends that uh, his neighbor, who is a police officer, is actually a serial killer. And uh, they spend the summer collecting evidence against this man. And as they dig deeper and deeper into the, his life, they become more and more in peril. And it, this, this is a fantastic movie. And it it, it came out in 2018. But I, the whole time you're watching it, you're like, this was absolutely made in the 80s. Like, it was so nostalgic 80s horror. It was perfect. Slasher. You know, obviously 1984 when a lot of serial killer stuff was going on it was uh, this is a fantastic film i think i saw it on shutter actually i think that was one of the only places i could find it i think i caught it on uh on xbox live yeah maybe on, I don't, on the it was Microsoft an accidental store. find my fiance actually pointed it out she's like what's summer of 84 you know and she's into like those nostalgic you know crime movies and so we just watched it the end of it we were both like holy shit that was a great movie involved kids and then there's this whole thing at the end that still makes me uncomfortable to think about (laughs) and then once you're done it you're like okay well what the fuck you know you're at the end everybody the cops are everywhere you're like okay but then you know but but then what and then the ending happens and you're like oh my god (laughs) they all fucking died (laughs) (laughs) well not all but i did the the that threat at the end yeah it was pretty wild. So. <laughs> the whole love- when the freaking when the door thing creaks open, and I was like, "Oh <laughs> shit! <laughs> oh fuck!" Oh, I tell you, man, it was when he saw when he saw the pictures on the wall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you were like, "Oh fuck!" Oh, wait a second. <laughs> but I love, I fucking love this movie because I'm 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 also a huge fan of Stranger Things, and Stranger Things is definitely a. It's like if Steven Spielberg and Stephen King just, you know, had an unholy baby of 80s awesomeness. And the, when I when I picked up Summer of 84, I was like, oh, this could be this could be kind of interesting as, you know, another kind another, you know, kind of 80s style. But I was I was shocked by how how well it was done. Especially for, you know, such an underrated, you know, or I'd say an, an undermarketed film. And it played so well. The uh, the director and the the directors and the writer had a solid, solid grasp of the '80s. Obviously, you know they they they, they were familiar with it. They knew what they were talking about. But everything from the I mean, from the wardrobe to the slang to the music to the even the architectural design, finding a neighborhood that gives that '80s vibe, and the, as far as the architecture goes, and then of course ensuring that your color schemes and your you know your everything is corrected you know to give that uh, that appeal. The movie was such a take back to my days growing when I when I grew up in Southern California, and you know riding bikes with my friends around the neighborhood, and they you know the kind of close knit mentality that some of these small town that these these little areas have, you know like we I had friends on the cul de sac that you know we saw each other every single day we walked to school and you had that kind of circle of friends and I loved that the notion is not only a throwback to some of my favorite '80s films. Like, you know, the Goonies and, you know, Stand By Me. Um, just the, the the notion of kids coming together and being able and, and, you know, accomplishing great things. But everything, every single thing about it was just an absolute nostalgia fest. 
and I'm a big fan of the 80s. I grew up in the 80s. I it, it, the film just blew me away. And not to mention the storyline itself. The you know the 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 cop you know the the cop and the serial killer just fucking wild. Yeah, this is thing. definitely this yeah, film is it's fantastic. I didn't get a chance to watch it until uh, we were just talking talking about it. So I had a friend a friend of mine get a copy of it. And I mean, the thing is, it's it's solid, and it just remind me of the fact that it's like kids aren't like this today. We talk about like I remember growing up, and you had your friends. You had your friends that would come knock on your. They would ride bikes, come knock on your door, and you'd go out and like you know you'd go out and hang out and play and do all this other kind of stuff. And it was it was just a throwback to a different world. And I like how he just wasn't. 80s art direction it's easy to do 80s art direction oh what clothes did they wear <laughs> what furniture so throw up some 80s posters I mean, there was a 78 camaro in the movie so there was, <laughs> it was that <laughs> but it's but the, the, the thing is the overall feel of it and i think we're actually coming into a real 80s inspired like era in film because we talk about summer of 84 stranger things um you go to the tv show like the goldbergs where you have people our age that are reminiscing about the 80s just like when you look at 90s films there are a lot of things that uh, reminisce on the 70s like dazed and confused and that 70s a tv show yeah it's i really i really like that it wasn't that we're getting into a getting into a kind of an um i would say a a trend it's not a caricature of the 80s but an actual depiction of what it was like in the 80s very much of of both both culturally societally you know how the family unit was in the 80s and i like that it's it's just it's, it's like a window into the past instead of you know the caricature of what you remember where it's kind of like you know it's it's ramped up for that nostalgia feeling but i liked seeing it was like yeah it was like that wild in the memories that it brings back and i absolutely adored the work that went into this took it not just not just a superbly acted and directed and shot film a classic who uh, you know a classic murder mystery with some real horror elements in there and uh, you know this is uh, some real over i would say over the top surprises some shit that you would not expect happening um but very gritty very realistic um really captured the the 80s because it wasn't like 70s grindhouse this was like a classic 80s film and it felt like you were watching a movie it, aside from how clean it was it really felt like the this was a movie that, that was shot in the 80s it was brilliant the aesthetic was intense it was because it comes across as a film that i would have watched i would have watched growing up Yes. Because if you talk about, and this was, because this was huge with the 80s, when you talk about, like, the kids coming together, you didn't mention things like the Goonies, where you don't really <laughs> see a lot of that today, where it's, where you have a group of kids, and they're faithful to each other, they band together, and then something, like, strange out of nowhere happens, and these kids have to go on their own, and work through it, and solve this and even that theme alone is a huge 80s concept. You just don't see that today. Yeah. We just, we really don't. And so it's, we have the art direction. We have the feel of it. And it's because it's easy to take 80s and just dress it up. 
but the time period that it takes place is essential to these characters. And that's what I talk about with any kind of films, any kind of filmmakers out there that want to do a story that takes place, a period piece, some story takes place in the past. Don't just have it in the past as a, oh, it's kind of cool. Oh, this film takes place in the 70s. Uh, that's, you know, just because I like 70s. But actually have the characters defined by the time period that they live in. And this is a movie that's a great example of how this story would not work today. It would not work in the 30s. It is something that it took place in the 80s, and it's essential to the fact that it took place in the 80s. Yeah. That's true. And they did such a good job on this, this going back to the 80s, and we've seen, I think Trick or Treat was supposed to be based in the 80s as well, right? Oh, uh, you're talking about the the anthology one that? Yeah, I think that was present day. Was it? Yeah, we had a lot of stuff. <laughs> in the 80s, I feel like I, I really I, I, for whatever reason I felt like that one was like a I, when I was reading throwback I was thinking of that. Well, it was uh, I the thing that the thing that stu- struck out is that that stuck out to me is that typically movies that were shot in the 80s they had a, you know especially you know kid centric ones is that there was more of an up there was a Many of them were very, very upbeat, and they're very uptoned films, and the kids usually come out on top, and everything is fantastic. Um, I love this one Breakfast because the, the things that plague our children today were, were they those things did not just suddenly exist in the two thousands and the two thousand tens. They they didn't just crop up all of a sudden. They've always been there. You know, you know, people, you know, the the kidnappings and serial murders shit like this these things did exist it's just that without the advent of the internet without the advent of mass media the you know people were not as aware so people you know often uh, oftentimes people will talk about you know oh we could go out and play you know play till the streetlights came on and everything was great nothing bad ever happened no they merely they never knew about the bad things that were happening it was happening we just weren't hearing about it People just yeah, they just weren't hearing about it. Only the people that were around that time, you know, I would say in the like in the neighborhood, you heard about it there. But you know, there is yeah. no internet, there is no email. These things don't exist, and so there's no there's no cell phones. So at this point, there's no mass way to communicate other than through the news. And if the news didn't, if the local news didn't reach you, I said you didn't know about it. And I like the depiction of the '80s and how these things did occur, but. It's not like you could just, you know, send make a YouTube video about your experience, put it out on the internet for everybody to suddenly, you know, know about, or create a Wikipedia page or something of that nature. These things don't exist. And so the inclusiveness of the neighborhood dynamic, and I think the internet has kind of, uh, you know, taken that away where uh, neighborhoods don't have to come together like they did, you know, in the 70s and the 80s because they can always go online. And the community has expanded, but you know how you know, how often these days do you really know your neighbors? Do you like, get to know them? Do you have like block parties and stuff like that where you know or new neighbors come in and everybody welcomes them and you know in and cooks them food and brings it over? We just don't do it anymore. Just the advent of technology and the advent of of advanced communication. And I like the I like the depiction in this film that these the terrible things did occur. We just didn't know about them. So it felt very much like a window into something very real to me. And that's why I loved about this movie. And the thing is, is you're right about it because when you look at media, media was so selective 
back then. So obviously with the news, the news is going to only going to highlight the biggest story for the ratings. So you're right. There's a lot of stuff that you didn't hear about. There are serial killers. We can name a bunch of serial killers that were going on in the, the 70s and 80s. But we... You just you just didn't know, and it was commonplace to go and knock on your neighbor's door. I knew the neighbor. I grew up so I grew up on the same street my entire life, uh, all throughout from like five years old till like I was my early twenties. So I knew the neighbors. Well, one of my neighbors is still one of my best friends today. We just we knew each other. We would go ride bikes. We would go to the creek. We would go. We would do all these, and we did all these things without a cell phone. Knock on the door. Yeah, we hop on a bikes. So a couple of friends. We go to the creek, and our parents just kind of had faith that we'd come back. <laughs> as long as, <laughs> uh, like my my dad would yell out the door, Alex, and that's when I knew to go home. You know, it was like yeah, as long as you just stay in earshot. Yeah, that's, that's the deal. You see, you say a, there, you say with the media, some... there had been a media, and having you know that information at your fingertips, there was a. Uh, something that I learned out of a Stephen King book I just read, his new book uh, it's called If It Bleeds and so like there's the whole (laughs) If It Bleeds It Reads and so that's what you'd hear in the news you know, but like when you've only got news that goes to like, okay, your local newspapers you're not going to be talking about so and so in Pennsylvania that went missing you would never know about that so you'd never worry about it and then you just get so comfortable with everything in your life that when something does, you know, more people were, you know, they had nothing else to do rather than watch, like you said, welcome the new neighbors and watch the neighbors get to know everybody. But like, I couldn't possibly get to know all the neighbors on my street. You know, there's so many people crammed into these little places now. It's terrifying with kids. And what what's interesting is the fact that we have so much at our fingertips Yet we feel less of a need to communicate with people because, I mean, we knew our neighbors growing up. We did. We knew you either knew them directly or you knew a neighbor that knew them, everybody on the street. And now you don't really talk to neighbors anymore. Um, It's harder to meet people. It's harder in terms of like with friends and stuff like that. Like one, I think one of the biggest realizations is, is there a point to high school reunions anymore? Because anybody you, you you're curious about high school, you just look them up. That's it. There's there's no there's no point. And it were like whatever. Yeah, I know what they do. I know where they work. I know how long they've been there. Like yeah. What do I need? Versus back then, someone went off to college and they were gone. And then your ten reunion happens. You probably haven't seen most of those people or know anything about them when you see them again. You know, it was and it was really what uh, the sense of trust that you had uh, back in those days. Like you, you know, you trusted your neighbors. You all lived together. You you share, you kind of share the same street um, to the point of you know almost clickishness, where you know you had to trust your neighbors. They are the pe- they they are the individuals who will call the cops if they see something strange going on or somebody lurking around your property they're the ones that will call the fire department they're the ones who will come over and check if, if you have they haven't seen you come out to, to you know get your mail in a day or two they're the ones that would that, that used to hold your mail for you they come over to your house they get your mail they collect for you while you were out of town keep an eye on the house for you from the outside and it was because of that lack of kind of national knowledge that these relationships were able to be created but now we have mass media coverage and we know every bad thing that's going on all around us at all times and 
you suddenly realize that the bad stuff is literally right out there, right outside your door. So you don't know if you can trust your neighbors. You don't know how much responsibility you could give them out of your own life, you know, where you could hand the responsibility to somebody else. And so we just don't get to know people anymore. And I love that in Summer of 84 that it showed it implicitly that trust that existed between neighbors as part of, as part of the neighborhood, especially if one of those neighbors is a cop. Right. And the kind of mentality around police officers at the time. It was a brilliant depiction and something, you know, it's kind of neat to kind of see or to, for me to kind of reminisce about what that was, you know, how things used to be and how things are now um, 30 years later. It's just absolutely wild. That's why I, I love this as it's one of my favorite throwback horror films. Yeah, it, what would your second favorite horror <laughs> film be? <laughs> so it, it is it's something it captures a time period and they did a phenomenal job doing that and i can't wait to see yep. what other stuff that they come out with i'd like to i'd like to see a lot of this i'd like to see a lot more throwback stuff if they can nail the 80s you know as, as well as they did in this movie this far ahead of that i'd love to see stuff that goes back and like uh coming up you know, we had to push Halloween back, but that's going to be kind of a a throwback in a, in a multi, multiple different kinds of ways. Uh, question I'd like to ask the audience, though, what's your favorite throwback horror? This, this by far, is absolutely one of my hands-down favorite movies. And the whole 80s aspect that we talked about really brought this, like, super nostalgic feel, but also it's very authentic. So I think this is probably one of my favorites. I want to know from the audience, though. Let us know. Weekendhorror at gmail.com. JL, why don't you bring it home with, I think, probably one of the most recognized movies from the 80s. Absolutely. Yeah, one that one that I, I saw early on. Probably I was probably five when I saw this movie. and uh, But uh, released August 12th, 1983. The Stephen King adaptation. God, we love our Stephen King adaptations <laughs> here. Uh, we're looking back at Cujo. Definitely. So, directed by Louis Teague. Uh, screenplay by Don Carlos Dunaway and Barbara Turner. Um, based on Cujo by Stephen King. And starring Scream Queen D. Wallace, uh, Daniel Hugh Kelly, uh, Danny Pintaro, a very young Danny Pintaro, Ed Lauder, and Christopher Stone. Um, what to say about Cujo? Uh, in a nutshell, for those not familiar with the film or the book that it is based on, uh, the story centers around a mother and her son who currently going through family turmoil. The mother, uh, the father's out of town dealing with business crap. There, yo, know, family's kind of falling apart. And in the midst of all this drama that's currently going on with the family, uh, the mother takes her car, her failing Ford Pinto, out to this local mechanic. Um, who li- kind of lives out there in the rural country uh, during one of the hottest summers that may that you know the characters live in Maine, one of the hottest summers they've ever seen, drives the car out there to get it fixed where the car then breaks down and then mother and son quickly realize that they are trapped in their car by the rabid 200 pound Saint Bernard Cujo, who will not let them escape. And as the hours turn into days, and there's no water and no food and the temperature in the car because they have to keep the windows up lest the dog get in. Things start getting really, really insane. Um, I love this film 
not only for its for its brilliant depiction of of Cujo, um, of the, of the of the animal work that was done in this, but also its simplicity. We have, you know, these are not two dimensional characters; these are deep characters. But we don't need to lose too much in exposition. We see what's happening. This was a hallmark I love of the eighties of 80s filmmaking, where it was, you could get rich characters, rich dynamics, and really, really strong narratives, and you could do it minimally. You didn't need hours of exposition in order to affect something or make something happen. The quality of the cast, the quality of the work done behind this was amazing. And that's why I, you know, up, it, it, Cujo is up there with, like, Christine and Carrie in just the level of faith in the source material and the, the the just the professional quality that was brought to bringing the the story to life, uh, one of the best Stephen King adaptations, probably top, I would say top ten, top ten Stephen King adaptations. I love this movie, and what went into making the dog is so awesome because you know working with animals is difficult. They say uh, Eugene, who was it who said yeah, you, uh, the two things you never do: you never work with animals, you never work with yeah. children. <laughs> So, but creating Cujo, obviously, making sure the animal does not, because you're depicting uh, an animal gone insane from rabies, and it's a 200-pound St. Bernard, which, you know, is a massively huge animal and can be quite dangerous. So, trying to make the dog into what it was, was, I, just from what you see in the movie, was wild. It was fucking intense. Yeah, a lot. So a lot actually went into it because you have to be careful in terms of like a dog. There are plenty of dog attacks and the dog is breaking glass and jumping through windows. And there's a oh shit, that shit, that final scene. The surprise time. jump in the window. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so a lot of that stuff, a lot of the stuff is real dangerous. And obviously they had the dog's uh, safety in mind in it. So it took a lot of work to put that together. So they ended up, they, first of all, they have to use multiple dogs. Because sometimes the dog doesn't feel like acting or has trouble with doing something. So they end up using four St. Bernards. Uh, a couple of reports said they've used up to nine St. Bernards, but at least four. They used a couple of mechanical dogs, and they actually use a black Labrador Great Dane mix in a St. Bernard costume. And they <laughs> put a St. Bernard costume on him. And then finally, for some of like the real intense stuff with like breaking the glass, um, like breaking the glass in the car and like biting the door handle they actually had uh it was stunt supervisor gary morgan or stuntman gary morgan uh in a dog costume <laughs> <laughs> and that is wild because you really can't because i mean i i never would have guessed that i did until i started reading up on the film kind of like the making of it i would have never guessed there was a guy in a suit at any one of those junctures, and see that tells you right there the power of editing. Like I, I sat there and watched it, and if you want, if you look for it real close, you can see a couple moments. But just as a casual viewing, the editing is so good in the film; it's hard to depict which one they're actually using. Is there were specific scenes, and I know, and I know some of these would have gotten Alex, um, like. The scene when the when the when the dog actually gets in the car, and she 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 tries to get out. You know, she and actually you know, she doesn't manage to get the door closed fast enough, 
and the dog actually gets into the car and is is on this. She's late, you know. She's she's pinned down on the seats, and this two hundred pound animal is on top of her, snapping like a motherfucker. And it was just like I can't even imagine the intensity of that of trying to be in that scene because obviously, you know, from a filmmaker's standpoint, the dog is not crazy, you know. But but creating that and it looks so fucking real. It blows my mind that at some points there that that one that was a mechanical dog or wasn't even a or wasn't even a Saint Bernard to begin with or something of the nature. But yes, the editing absolutely superb because you know watching this the first time there is not a moment there you don't believe that 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 dog is there doing that. And this is this is a great trick um, when you have something like this use different use different angles use different multiple techniques i know when they're talking with uh christopher nolan in inception and people asked how he did stuff he would use four different techniques five different techniques for like one scene when joseph gordon levitt is floating through the hallway so just when your eyes like oh he's on the wire the very next shot he does something that a wire can't do so you're like okay well that can't be wired because then it's a mold or something it, and this, what this movie does is it flips back and forth so quick. You can't do like a, if you did just one scene, all mechanical dog, we'll eventually go, oh, that's a mechanical dog. That's a real dog. That's a guy in a dog costume. But being able to switch back and forth with the editing, you can never tell. So you automatically assume it's just a real dog the entire time. <laughs> they did so good. <laughs> did, okay. It was, it was great. We're all dog lovers here, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm okay with dogs. <laughs> they all right. Um, it got it really gets me because even in watching this movie, it, there's still some scenes that, that 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 make me tear up. And it's weird to say about a movie like Cujo, but there are some moments where it makes me where it makes me tear up because the dog the dog is a dog. You know, the dog has rabies, has rabies, and the dog is sick. The dog doesn't understand what's happening to it. We do as people, but the dog doesn't. And watching this lovable, you know, just baby of a St. Bernard, just this goofy dog, descend into this level of madness, and it's not the dog's fault. And just it just it kills me every time I watch it as you, as you slowly see Cujo begin to fall apart. It, and, uh-huh. It's hard because, you know, like you talk about the St. Bernard – Animal phobias are like the most common, um, like phobia, specific phobia. Um, what's like 36% of it being like dogs or cats, being afraid of dogs or cats. And I actually recently ran into a person, it was a child who was absolutely, uh, cynophobic to the point where it was like, this child saw this, my dog, which I get it because my dog is 120 pounds. You know, when he stands on his back legs, he's six foot tall easily. And so he's a large dog, but he's the most gentle dog in the world. And so it's like to see somebody afraid is so afraid just because it's that species. And then you look at this, the St. Bernard, like I get how that could be terrifying. It's a 200 pound plus dog. It, it, that would be absolutely my dog oh, could dude, knock my ass over. When, I'm six when foot Cujo, three, When Cujo pounds. was up on the car, when he's up on the car. 
like on his, he's up yeah. on his hind legs. He's he's got it, and he's he's you know, it's not like he's fully splayed out. He's up on the cart and he's having to look down in the window and everything. Yeah. He's like that dog is fucking enormous. That is a vehicle he's at, and he's making the vehicle look small. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my dog, like I said, my dog is 120 pounds and it's like six feet tall. So I can't imagine like seeing like my dog. He'll run up and he'll jump on me. He'll knock my ass over. I'm tall. I'm six foot three, and I'm. I, you know, I've got some weight on me, 230 pounds, and this dog could knock my ass over just by playing around. Now, to, like, think about a dog having, like, a disease that makes him go crazy and, like, being aggressive. I could not imagine. I would not be able to get away from my dog if he went nuts. And he's, you know, he's a great Pyrenees, so he's not, like, big and fat. He's, like, real thin. I mean, I could mess around and play with him now, but if he really got into it, he could tear my ass apart. Yeah, there was, I was actually, when I was in the military, I got a chance to put on the red suit with the canine unit. And so they put the red, they put the giant red coat on and he, there, the guy doing the instruction was like, okay, I want you to run. So I'm like running, I'm running (laughs) and I'm about like 50 yards away. And he's like, no, no, keep running, keep running. It's about the length of a football field. I'm probably about anywhere from 80 to a hundred yards. And he's like, I'm releasing the dog, and I shit you not, it took the dog probably two seconds to get me. Like, it was like, re- like 100 yards away, goodness. release, and all of a sudden, he jumped up, grabbed the sleeve, and pulled me to the ground. It was that quick. Like, that's the power that a dog has. Now, they use, uh, was, was that a Belgian that they were using? Uh, it was a German Shepherd. Yeah. German Shepherd? See, I've got two German Shepherds myself. And Jingles is the big one. Yeah, Shotzi's a little bit smaller, but Jingles is the big one, and he's an absolute baby. He's just like he's a mama's boy, just a goofy dog, cries all the time. But I have, I saw my dog, and Jingles. I've never seen him be like super, super, like you know, crazy active or or do anything. He's always just being kind of lazy. But one time, I saw Jingles take off running once. He was down the street. He'd gotten outside and he was playing around. He thought it was a game. And Angela called him back to the house. And I saw my dog, I'd never seen this before, take off like a bat out of hell. <laughs> and I had no idea that my dog was that fast. Yeah. <laughs> and it blew my mind. Once you, once you see the power and the speed, that just, just kind of erupt that fast. And he was gone. Like, he left me in the dust. Just, whoosh. I was like, son of a bitch. And I've never seen him run like that that again because he, he prefers like lay down, lays around, kind of pad about. I'm just a lazy German Shepherd, but when he needs to be, he can get up and go. <laughs> you fucking and go. I, mm-hmm. <laughs> and when you, I can understand why people would be afraid because when you see stuff like that, and you see you, know, you live in proximity to the dog, and you see what the dog can really do, I can understand why that can why that can make some people nervous. Um, what? Well, well- Sinophobia, you know, you know, no laughing matter. There are people out there that are phobic of dogs, uh, but you know, God, I love them. I love them to death. So, so <laughs> this this was my thing. I was okay with dogs for a long period of time. I'm still okay with dogs. I don't hate dogs or anything like that. But I worked for FedEx for a year, and I delivered out in the country where people had like legit guard dogs, like. I would pull up in a truck, and people would be like, "Don't get out of your truck because they will attack you." And I'm like, okay, well, I'll hand the package to the window. And one time I was in, I wasn't in a FedEx truck. I was in one of those, uh, like Penske trucks 
where okay. you can't get into like the driveway area. So I would I went in the back, and so it was like at night. It was already dark outside, and I was like a little road, middle of nowhere, and I knew this house had two really aggressive dogs. And so what I ended up doing was I was like, okay, well, before I even pull up this house, I'm going to hop in the back, grab the package, and then put it in the cab. So when I drive up, I can just like toss it out the cab. I went, yeah, (laughs) I went, I went in the back and I went back to go and grab their package. And all of a sudden I heard wrestling (laughs) and it was like leaves or something like that. And I started hearing footsteps and I realized this dog was stalking me, not just bark, bark, bark to like scare people. No, this dog comes out of the bushes growling. Fuck. That. Holy it's, shit! It's, it's reminiscent. Reminiscent. There's that one particular scene that that happened in Cujo. It was when um, the kid, uh, you know, the 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 kid who's a part of the family that owns Cujo, the kid is out there in the, like the morning fog, and he's calling for you know calling for Cujo to come in. And Cujo's been sick for a while now, and he's already starting to deteriorate. And so he's he's calling for Cujo, and the sound is kind of like you know. You know, uh, warped by the by the all the fog around him, and on occasion you hear a barking. You know that's uh, that's somewhere out there in the mist, and the kids like one goes like, "Yo, where is like Cujo? Where are you, Cujo?" It's like, and then he's backing up, and then all of a sudden you hear that growl, and the dog was already behind him. Yeah, and you could tell, you know, and obviously you know that he's foaming at the mouth. He's you know he's very very sick, but you know he's not so far gone that he that he flips out. And he kind of like backs off a little bit and then just kind of trudges off into the mist and disappears. And it was, you know, stuff like that where I, you know, that, that scene always gets me because how, how quickly they, how, how much better they are at the, at the, at the hunt, at the stalking at finding things than we are. And, oh, I love this movie. I both love and it, and it breaks my heart several times, but I really, really adore this movie. <laughs> It is. It has. I mean, it has some touching moments. It has the the fact that you see D. Williams put on a fantastic performance. Oh, she was incredible. And what the links that she has to go to to protect her son. Yeah, and the kids start spazzing out, having um, dehydration uh, seizures in the car, and she's got to get. She's got to get him to water. So it, it it's just it's so wild. It it. it it, it, the intensity in those scenes in such a small space was so brilliantly done, and of course the final showdown with Kuja. Because eventually, at one point, fuck it, she's got to she's got to take care of this dog so she can get so she can you know save her son's life. And just that final showdown with Kuja, when she manages to get her hands on the baseball bat and they're you know they're squaring off. Oh, it's just a level of intensity. I just <laughs> I, I I loved it. Loved every. Uh, I if it comes on, I'll watch it. Um, but that's a question for the audience. I'm really, really curious. What is your favorite horror dog? Because there are several out there. Um, many, many depictions. Another favorite of mine is uh, Max from Man's Best Friend. I really, I, I dug that storyline and I dug the concept of, you know, the, the dog is the, kind of the villain of the piece. But the dog is really blameless because it's what we do to the dog or the lack of what we do to the dog. Obviously, if Cujo had had his rabies shots, <laughs> if he, he wouldn't just have got gotten rabies. Shots. Yes, so uh, that's the, whole, the the kind of the big thing. But um, dogs in horror 
is both something I love and something that just, you know, it kills me to watch because you know it's going to end badly. Um, but what is your favorite horror dog? I want to know what the audience thinks. Do they have one that comes to mind? Um, one that, that really kind of haunts them? Because I find these, these movies also to be a little on the haunting side because they hit you right in the feels. Definitely let us know in the comments or hit us up at weekendhorror at gmail.com. All right. Well, that concludes our episode. Thank you so much for listening. We could not do this without you. And so we are extremely grateful that you are taking time out of your day to listen to us just chat about some of your favorite horror movies. And so, as always, if you need more information, you'd like to learn a little bit more, visit our website at weekendhorror.net, where you can get more information about us and some giveaways and stuff like that that we're having, because we are coming up on our one-year mark. So we have some giveaways. Make sure you keep in mind the date, September 23rd. That's going to be our live stream where we will have trivia, giveaways, and all sorts of kind of stuff. And then you can always email us at weekendhorror at gmail.com for comments, concerns, feedback. Let us know what you think because we're kind of lonely. Go ahead, hit us up. Why not? <laughs> and please, please talk. Yeah, to just me. just all by myself. But <laughs> and if you like what you hear, please visit our Patreon, patreon.com slash weekend horror. We have several amounts that you can donate, uh, one, three, and I believe a $5 mark. And that'll give us, that'll give you early access to our bloodbaths and our after dark. Our bloodbaths is where we take, use our horror expertise and we will actually battle two horror villains to the death to see who will come out on top. And then you also get early access to our after dark where we have our monthly guests and we sit there, we just chat for a while. We chat about the state of the way horror in is in films and stuff that they have coming up. So it's just a little bit of an extra chat an extra way to learn about our special guest. And then you can also go to our Facebook page and our Twitter, both slash Weekend Horror, where you get our daily splatter. It's a little bit of horror knowledge every single day. And then also check out our YouTube channel, YouTube channel slash Weekend Horror, where you can go and check out our podcast. And we have some other stuff that we'll post there. And then also we'll have some Teespring merch. This, that's right. That's right. Merchandise. We have merchandise. Yeah! <laughs> we have t-shirts, we have mugs, and they're going to be cool, they're going to be stylish, I'm going to be supporting them, so... <laughs> You're not supposed to tell them that. But anyways, so check it. Our mom, our mom think they're yes. Cool. <laughs> hey, that's all that matters, man. <laughs> so definitely check out check out our merch. Uh, we'll have a link on our on our webpage, and then Teespring. It's going to be uh, that's going to be sponsoring everything. So definitely check out all that. And I'm Eugene. I'm Alex. And I'm JL. And we'll see you next week. And as always, stay scared.